Good morning, CWC family, uh, live and direct from remote location. Actually, you guys are remote today. We are here at the, uh, the home base, if you will, and um, we're just excited to be here this morning. Uh, before we start, I-, I just want you, wherever you're at, however you're watching this, in your jammies, whatever you're doing, I want you to just collectively, why don't you just give a hand for the worship team. They, they braved the corona apocalypse um, to come out here this morning um, to lead us in worship, and what a powerful time it was. And as we were worshiping, a, a, a scripture was brought to my mind, and I just want to share it with you as we uh, dive in, uh, before we dive into the message here. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to his um, young mentee, Timothy, who is at that time, pastoring and leading and overseeing the work of God in the city of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul, locked in jail, says, Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, of whom I preached in my gospel, for which I am bound like a criminal. And then he says this very important thing. He says, but the word of God is not bound. And so it is a great privilege and honor for me to be here with you this morning in spirit and physically for some of us here. Um, But wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're going through right now, I want you to remember the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We do not serve a dead, complacent God. We serve a risen, living God who overcame and defeated the greatest enemy of humankind, death and sin. And he lives forevermore, the Bible says, interceding at the right hand of the throne of God on behalf of the saints. And so no matter what you're wrestling with right now, maybe you're worried, you're concerned, maybe you're confused, whatever the case may be, remember the risen Lord Jesus. And also remember this, even though we may be quarantined or whatever the case is, the word of God is never bound. You know, this morning, um, I... uh, greet you, unfortunately, in a state of upheaval. And while I had a really awesome message that I believe God had dropped in my heart for me to share here with you today, uh, yesterday as my wife and children, who were also uh, safely uh, back at the hotel, um, you know, just making sure that they're taking every precaution, uh, we were out and about yesterday at the Logan Valley Mall, and as we were walking about, the Lord of God kept bringing to mind and and bringing to my heart a passage of scripture that I want to share here with you this morning and in the few minutes that we have together uh, through this virtual feed, unpack it a little bit for you and give you some encouragement. But as we were walking around the Logan Valley Mall, the Lord just began to lay on my heart uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 14 through 15. Now, the part that Lord, the Lord put on my heart is not necessarily the whole verse 14, but you understand that the verses weren't necessarily inspired. Um, but it's the message within those verses that resonated with me, and it's something that has resonated uh, with me for a long time. Because in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, the apostle Peter says this, Do not fear what they fear. And do not be afraid. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always being prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. And I want to say that again because I believe that at this time, in this day, in this age, in our culture right now, as we're uh, witnessing and experiencing all that's happening and all of the what-ifs and what's going on that you may be uh, cajoling or wrestling over right now, I want to reiterate and restate that verse of Scripture because I believe that God has something for you, for me, and for us, and for our nation in his holy inspired and written word. Do not fear what they fear. Who's the they? The they are people that do not know Jesus Christ. The they are the people who maybe know him but have not put their faith and hope and trust in him as Lord and Savior. The they may be those who have put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus, but because they are still developing and maturing in their faith, they are struggling at this time to have full confidence in Jesus. 
And so the Apostle Peter speaking to first century Christian Jews who have been are in the midst of being persecuted by the Roman government. He says, do not fear what they fear and do not be afraid. And he gives us the action step to do in place of being afraid and in place of living in fear. He says this. In your hearts. Set apart Christ as Lord. See, in this morning, my encouragement, my question for you is this. What's running your life right now? Is it fear? Is it confusion? Is it doubt? Is it lack? I mean, goodness knows, somewhere, someone has a bunker full of toilet paper. And if that's you, those of us who do not have toilet paper will find where you live. And if this stretches out, you will need to make friends real quick because we will come for your toilet paper. But whatever it is that is running your life right now, if it's fear, if it's doubt, if it's confusion, can I encourage you with the words of the Apostle Peter this morning and say, let Jesus be Lord in your life. You saw it on the social media post alerting all of the CWC family that there would not be a physical worship uh, service this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We were not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, in the person that gave us his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, God alive in us by his spirit, we are not to be controlled or driven or lorded over by fear. But we set apart Christ alone as Lord. Some translations say it like this, sanctify Christ as Lord. Now, I want to encourage you, maybe you're someone that's hearing this and you're like, but you don't understand my anxiety right now. Maybe, maybe you're someone that struggles with uh, true obsessive compulsive disorder or anxiety or fear or panic attacks. And, and, and you may be sitting there and saying, well, well, well John, you, you don't understand how hard it is. Can I just encourage you on this national day of prayer to find a corner, find other believers, and set aside everything else that is trying to pull at your mind and your attention and set Jesus Christ in his rightful place on the throne of your heart as the ruler of your life. But Peter also says to be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. And this is one of my great encouragements in this moment is this. I honestly believe, and I'll talk about it a little bit later on, that this crisis, this pandemic, whatever you want to call it, I believe that God has ordained it, not just because he is sovereign and is in control of everything, which I'll talk about here in a moment, but I believe that God has given us, as followers of Jesus Christ, a great opportunity to give to people the reason for the hope that we have. Why this does not shake our faith. Why this does not knock us off of our block. Why this does not rattle us to the point of confusion and panic and fear. But we have set Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives. And because our faith and hope and trust is in him and our security is in him and our provision and protection is from him, we have no reason to be afraid, but we have every reason to hope. Why? Because Jesus is still on the throne. And so... I share this in a moment of upheaval and maybe even in your own life, great insecurity as you see the events that are unfolding in our country. But one of the powerful aspects of this scripture is that the Apostle Peter was not just innately inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words to the believers that he's talking to. First and foremost, for you to understand kind of the setting of what Peter is writing to, uh, Peter is living in the Roman Empire. And during the time, this letter was written around 60 to 63 AD, and during this time, the wicked Emperor Nero 
had been persecuting Christians and persecuting Jews. And so those Jews and Christians that were living in Rome were being kicked out and spread abroad. And those who were not kicked out and spread abroad were enjoying a very great hardships, if you will, oppression. Some were even taken and tied to tall poles and pitched and tarred with uh, fuel and lit on fire while they were alive to act as streetlights for the emperor. And so while the insanity that may be going on wherever it is that you're living or watching this live stream from may seem crazy, may seem apocalyptic, I, I, I hope that it is not what these first century Christians were enduring. And so Peter is writing to these individuals to encourage them, to remind them that even though the Roman government is standing against them, even though they're facing all of these trials and hardships, there is one, Jesus, the Lord, the Savior of all, who sits on the throne, who is watching over them, who is leading them, who is guiding them, who is protecting them, and even if they meet their end and find their demise in this life, it will only give them entry into the greater life that is to come in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, Peter wasn't just hearkening to his own idea. Peter was actually drawing from another time in Israel's history when things didn't look that good. Because the portion of verse 14 that I read from 1 Peter 3 is actually a direct quotation from the book of Isaiah chapter 8, specifically the 12th verse of Isaiah chapter 8. Now, if you are a Bible nerd like me, you will probably notice that the Apostle Peter likes to uh, cite or quote uh, the prophet Isaiah in his first epistle here. But the reason why Peter draws divine inspiration from these verses in the book of Isaiah isn't just because he got lazy and needed some filler for the rest of his letter. It's because Peter understood a situation in Israel's God-ordained past that could give comfort in Israel's God-ordained present, what they were facing right now, but also provide hope for Israel's God-ordained future. And I just want to take this moment as a time to remind you of this. We serve and follow and put our faith and hope and trust in the God who is right now. Who was, he was in control way back then, and is to come. He is in control of what's coming. And so no, no matter what state of life or what stage of time you're living in, Jesus is in control. Because every moment of our lives is ordained by God and there is good in it because Romans 8 28 tells us that he works all things together for the good and it's our responsibility as those who seek after him to seek and find the good that he has booby trapped in even the worst situations as I said Peter's writing to what's commonly referred to as the diaspora Christian Jews that have been spread abroad by Roman persecution these people were facing government-sanctioned suppression of their rights, harassment, unlawful confiscation of their property, oppressive mandates specifically just for them, imprisonment and even death. Now, I am not saying that the coronavirus is the government oppressing Christians, so please don't hear that this morning. I am very thankful and find great comfort in the fact that our president made today a national day of prayer, recognizing that it's not by power and it's not by might, but it is by the spirit that things happen. And so while the rest of the world may be running around crazy, we can call upon the one who is and was and is to come, who is in control of everything and has set up everything for our good. And we can see things turned around through the power of prayer. But Peter was addressing a widespread national issue that was causing great discomfort and fear and anxiety and confusion, not only about what is going on, but what's going to happen next. And that's why Peter borrows 
from this moment in Israel's history back in Isaiah chapter 8 to provide not only a correlation with but a connection to how God moved and operated and delivered his people in moments of national unrest in the past. And so if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. As you can see, I have not only water but coffee, so I am well stocked in case this apocalypse gets worse. Um, I was once asked in a video one time uh, if I could take three things with me on a desert island, what would they be? And my, my initial response was obviously the word of God. But then in my own snarky little way, I said, well, I've got that written on my heart. And so I probably said, my wife, the guy asking me said, well, what about your kids? I said, I'm alone on a desert island with my wife. That's good enough. They'll be okay. But the second two things that I gave them was this, water and coffee. Water to survive, coffee to live. Come on, somebody. Amen. But Isaiah chapter 8, we find the people of God in a moment in their history where if you're familiar with the, the history of Israel and the scriptures, you'll understand that at this point in time, the 12 tribes of Israel have split into two kingdoms. They're re referred to as Israel, the northern kingdom, which is 10 tribes, and then what's referred to as the southern kingdom, Judah, which is the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And so during this time in the uh, early 700s B.C., uh, the world superpower at the time, Assyria, has been encroaching upon the land of Judah, the southern kingdom, as they have been uh, brought in by God to overthrow and defeat the northern kingdom of Israel. Now you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a God of love. Well, you have to understand that our God of love is a good, good father, and good, good fathers spank their kids. And because Israel, the northern kingdom, from the time that they split from Judah, had been living in apostasy and idolatry and living under wickedness and turning themselves away from God, God continued to send prophet after prophet to speak to them and warn them and say, turn around, turn from these things, turn back to me, turn around, turn from these things, turn back to me. It's funny how so many national issues and situations, whether it's the nation of Israel or any nation on planet earth, can miraculously be fixed when the people who are called by his name humble themselves and pray, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. But nevertheless, the people of the northern kingdom did it. God raised up the nation of Assyria, the world superpower at the time, and they were coming in to conquer and bring destruction to the northern kingdom. And of course, the southern kingdom got afraid. Because they're like, if Assyria, who has been running roughshod over the known world, is this close knocking at our door at our northern border, taking into captivity our northern brothers and sisters, we must be next. And so God speaks to his prophet Isaiah to deliver a message to the people that I want to deliver for us here this morning. So Isaiah chapter 8, verse 5, and I'm going to read through verse 10, take a break, and then come back and finish through verse 15. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again. Now, this is the Lord speaking, verse 6. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over resin and the son of Remalia, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. Some of your translations may say the Euphrates River, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it, the river, will rise over its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill 
the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. The Lord is using very metaphoric language that I'll unpack for you here in a minute. Verse 9. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Now I want to take a break there and just kind of unpack what the prophet is saying there. See, because we see initially in verse number six that God addresses people who have refused his leading, his guiding, his wisdom, his statutes, and his directions. And I just want to give you a spoiler alert that if you refuse God's leading, God's guiding, God's wisdom, God's statutes, and God's directions, you by extension are refusing God's deliverance, God's salvation, God's provision, and God's protection. It's not that God withholds from us, it's that we often withhold our obedience from him. And so God speaks to these people that have refused his leading. Because the gently flowing waters of Shiloh are symbolic of God's gentle words and God's kind provision that was neglected by these people of the northern kingdom. See, they thought that God was not the king of kings, but that he was Burger King and that they could have it their way instead of Yahweh's way. And they wanted their way, so they got it their way. Essentially, they had rejected God and put their hope and trust in horses and chariots and in the strength of man. The scripture goes on there and says they rejoiced and found comfort in the strength of earthly leaders. It mentioned Rezin. Rezin was the king of Syria who was teamed up with uh, Pekah, the son of Remaliah, who was the king of Israel. These two had formed a coalition thinking that by their strength and their might, and their unified uh, 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 resistance to Assyria that they could stand against Assyria. And what they found out was this. No earthly ruler can stand against the will and direction that God has ordained. And then God contrasts their refusal of his gentle waters by telling them that their rejection has earned them the strong and abundant, the mighty and many waters of the Euphrates River, which is symbolic of Assyria, because the the troops of Assyria would follow the Euphrates River uh, so that they wouldn't have to cross through the desert, and they would come down by direction of the Euphrates River. And so God graciously reminds them that, that he is also in control because these waters didn't raise up on their own. God raised them up. Now, that is, that is some strong language for us to remember. And it's hard for us in this day and age of, 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 of a purely love and snuggle God. God is love. But we also have to remember that 1 Corinthians 13, which tells us love is kind, love is patient, love does not boast, all of these other things. We also have to remember this. Love does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And so we remember that God is in control. And if he can bring the disaster, he can also stop the disaster. But these people in the northern kingdom rejected God and God raised up Assyria as the paddle to spank his children with because God's end result is to bring forth obedience from his children. My kids don't get snacks and treats if they don't listen. And both of them in different opportunities found that out this weekend. And if you're watching by live stream, hi kids, I love you, but practice listening. Because as parents, we don't like to discipline our kids, but we know that we have to put certain things into practice so that we can get the best from our kids. Not because we want totalitarian authority over them, but because we want to see them become the best honoring people. Because when you have honor and give honor, you get honor. But the people of the northern kingdom had not honored God, and they had turned away from him. 
in verses 9 through 10, the Lord basically tells them this, and I love it. I've paraphrased it for you in case you were wondering what was going on. This is what God tells them in the little poetic part of verses 9 and 10. He says, do whatever you think you can to stop or handle or address this issue. Go ahead and try. He says, strap on your armor. Strategize all you want. Say whatever you want to say. Buy as many packs of toilet paper as you want to buy. But I am in control, says the Lord. And the great encouragement at the end of verse number 10 is this. I am with my people. So whether you've got enough Charmin or not, I hope you've got enough Jesus in your life. Because all you need is Jesus to make it through this situation or any situation that you'll ever face. See, it makes me glad this morning to know whose side I'm on and who's on my side. Amen? Many of us, we don't want to listen to God or we, we don't want to fully obey his commandments, but one of the greatest hopes that I've found in my life is articulated as the, 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 the first teaching step, if you will, in the, in the Westminster Catechism, and it says this. It says, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own and we belong to God. See, let me tell you something. I take good care of my prized possessions. I take good care of the things that are important to me. And whether you have put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ yet or not, I want to let you know this. You are important to him. But if you have not surrendered your life to him, if you have not willingly said in your heart, Lord, I, I trust in your sinless life. I trust in your atoning sacrifice on the cross. I, I trust in your resurrection from the dead so that my sins could be wiped away and so that by faith I could receive eternal life and all of the promises you have for me. If you have not yet surrendered your life to that reality, you don't yet belong to him. But I want to encourage you this morning that if that's you, to whether it's right now or later on today, to put your faith and hope and trust, surrender yourself to God because you are his treasured possession. He sent his son to die for you. But if you're listening to the sound of my voice right now and you do belong to God, then you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. And that's why Isaiah picks up in verse number 11 of Isaiah chapter 8. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. When you hear a prophet of the Lord say the strong hand of the Lord was on him, they were feeling it, and it's a meaningful word that's about to come forth. And he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Sounds familiar. We, this is what Peter's quoting in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. He says, let the Lord be your fear and let him be your dread. Now I want to stop right there because some of you might be like, whoa, wait a second. I'm supposed to be afraid of God? I'm supposed to dread God? No. No. But if you make him who is love your fear and him who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, your dread, then A, you've got nothing to be afraid of. But B, you have him on your side. Verse 14, it says, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And God is playing both sides of it. He says, for those of you who trust in me, I'm going to be a sanctuary. I'm going to be a fortress. I'm going to be a protection. I'm going to be a place of safety and provision. But for those of you who don't, for those of you who, who yield to fear, who yield to your own imaginations and ideologies, you're going to stumble and fall. This is what Jesus is referencing in Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, when speaking of himself as the capstone and the cornerstone. He says, those who fall upon this stone will be broken. Meaning that, man, I can't do this on my own. There's no way I can survive this epidemic, this apocalypse. There's no way I can survive tomorrow when this thing disappears. I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of God and be broken before you. He said, 
you can fall on me and be broken. Or this is the stone that can fall on you and you will be crushed. I'm choosing broken this morning. So what's the prophet saying here? We see that here the Lord flips the script and begins to speak directly to not only the prophet Isaiah, but also to the people who have been faithful to him. He gives them a couple of encouragements in the way of warnings. Do not walk as these people do. What is he saying? While the world is losing its collective, ever-loving mind with unsubstantiated fear created by unmitigated alarm-raising, I'm talking to you, mainstream media. We, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, are to walk in faith and hope and trust. Even if it does get worse, which I pray that it doesn't. We still have a citizenship that is from heaven and a Savior who is there, even Christ Jesus, who is going to come one day and quicken our mortal bodies to make it like his glorious one. That's Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But we don't have to worry. Through Isaiah, God says, don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. And while the world is clamoring and stammering and stuttering and sputtering and shuddering, we as faithful followers of Jesus Christ can walk in faith and hope and love and trust in the Lord our God because even if the pestilence draws near, it will not come close to us. It will not touch us, says the Lord. And maybe even if it comes and affects us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My faith and hope and trust is not in anything that this government or any government on earth or that has ever been can provide for me. There is not enough toilet paper in Target to protect me from the coming wrath. But I have surrendered myself to the mantle and blood and love of Jesus Christ who died and gave his life for me. And so even if I die, I will live in Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the power of the gospel. This is a season to be courageous. In these times of seeming to pair, this is an opportunity for us to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts and be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Aren't you afraid of coronavirus? I'm concerned, but I fear no man and nothing on earth because my fear and my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, do not fear what they fear and do not be dread. Listen, we have a hope and a provision and a protection and a savior who has healing in his wings. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the hills that they're on and the gold in them are hills. Listen, we do not have to worry or be afraid, but we can take this opportunity to rejoice. And even if the quarantine gets worse, guess what? I get to spend more time with my family. I get to dig in the Word. I get to, through the luxury of technology, FaceTime and live stream with other believers that share my common faith so that my hope will not dissipate because our Lord will not disappoint. See, our God will not run out of grace. And He definitely ain't going to run out of toilet paper and bottled water. It's okay. God is in control. This situation has the opportunity to become the greatest outpouring of God's grace on a people who so desperately need it. What greater testimony could there be in the common era of the church of Jesus Christ that God stemmed the tide and turned around the thing that was giving people fear? What greater testimony could there be that in the midst of confusion, and anxiety, and suffering, and pain, and sickness, that the people of God raised up with courage in their hearts, not a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and of sound mind, and represented Jesus by doing the things that Jesus would do if he were here on the earth today. Because guess what, Christian? While he's sitting on the throne, we, his body, are his representative on earth. We have a job to do. And this can be an opportunity to demonstrate Jesus Christ to the world. 
You think this pandemic was out of the purview of God? Do you think that God didn't know that schools would be canceled? Do you think that God didn't know that workplaces would be closed? Do you think that God didn't know that people would be getting sick? Do you think that God didn't know that the world would lose its ever-loving mind? I believe in my heart that God has allowed this to happen, not just because I know that nothing happens except that which what God allows to happen, but I believe that God has allowed this to happen to give us believers, followers of Jesus Christ, an opportunity to not only remember where our hope comes from, but to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asked for the reason for the hope that we have. So how do we respond to this? I'm going to give you a couple of practical things and we're out of the way. First, use Wisdom, a.k.a. common sense. It's been said many times and will be said many more times, but common sense is no longer common. So here's what we can do. Wash your hands. Wash, don't just stop at your hands. Wash your whole body. But wash your hands. Sneeze into your arm, or better yet, into something that you can throw away, and then wash your hands right after that. Stay away from sick people if you can. And if you're sick, stay away from other people. Use common sense. Stock up if you have to. Right? If you have to. I read a story online the other day about a woman who bought all of these size 4 diapers somewhere. And there was a guy who needed diapers for his kid, but they were gone, and he looked at what the woman had, and he did the math in his head, and he determined, he guesstimated, that her child will be out of size four diapers before she uses all those diapers up. So use common sense. Stock up if you have to. Number two, find a way for this to be an opportunity to show the love of Christ and share the gospel. If there are older folks around you, people with compromised immune systems, individuals that this disease is definitely deadly for, then find a way to find out what they need and go out and get it for them and, if possible, pay for it with your own money. What a beautiful testimony. Use technology to your advantage. There's this app on your phone called Phone. Call somebody. Make sure they're okay. Text them, FaceTime them, Snapchat them, tweet them, Insta them. Whatever it is you do, Facebook them, do whatever you need to do, but make sure that you're reaching out and making sure that people are okay and seeing if there's anything that they need. And some of the things that people might need right now is wisdom and encouragement and a calming voice from someone who knows the one who's in control of everything. Number three, if you're able to work, i.e. if your job hasn't shut down, and if your job has shut down and is not going to pay you, that's a horrible thing. But if you're able to work, find a way to squirrel away a little bit of money for those who may not be able to work or get paid during this time. Could you imagine if Christians started paying the bills for non-believers? Because when stuff like this happens, we know that we're taken care of and we know where our help comes from. Could you imagine a world that is be increasingly becoming anti-Christian by the second if believers stepped up and said, no, I got you on this. Don't worry about it. Next. If you know someone that is able to go to their job, meaning that their work is open, but they can't because schools are closed and they don't have child care, find a way to help them out with child care. Find a way to help them do something with their children. If you're an employer and it's safe for them to bring their kids with them, let them bring their kids with them. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you're home with your kids and you know your neighbor down the street doesn't have an opportunity to send them to the daycare, open your door. 
We just sang this morning, God's presence is an open door. We represent the presence of God. Let's open our doors to those who don't know him. Here's one straight out of the Bible. Do not forsake the gathering together. Man, this is awesome that we have the opportunity to live stream and allow all of us to participate in a worship service, even if we're not physically present. There's a lot of churches that don't have this capability. But nevertheless, we can't use this as an opportunity to just be like, oh, I'm tired next Sunday. I know the doors are open, but I'm just going to live stream. It was awesome last time. Find ways to meet. Because here's the reality. Every church's leadership made a difficult decision this, this, this weekend. It was just as difficult to say we're going to open the doors and trust God but risk further spread as it was for leaders to say we want our people to be safe and protected and we're going to find another way to make this happen without drawing it in. But we cannot forsake the gathering together. We can't use this as an excuse to grow lax in our gathering and find reasons to not be together. Last couple ones, pray for our leadership. Pray for our church leadership. Pray for our president. Pray for our governor. Pray for our state representatives. Pray for our congressmen. Pray for our senators. Pray for our local government because all of them need our prayers right now. Pray for courage, wisdom, right decisions, and strength. Pray for clear godly direction, even and especially if they are not godly people. Because one of the things that I love in the Bible, God raised up Cyrus to set the Israelites free from exile. God raised up Artaxerxes to send Nehemiah back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild it. Oh, and by the way, Artaxerxes not only gave him a year of paid leave, but actually gave him a blank check and said, whatever you need to rebuild your city, it's on me. Look, if our people who are called by his name humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then he'll heal our land. We need to pray for our leaders for godly wisdom, godly direction, godly strength, and godly resources. Pray also for those who are affected and infected. Because not everybody is getting this disease, but everyone in one way, shape, or form is being affected by it. But we serve a God who is our healer, a God who is sovereign, and he is in control. And last but not least, and we'll have the team come or whoever's coming to close us, do not be afraid. Do not fear what they fear and do not be afraid, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Listen, you were not given a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you were given the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15 and the verses following that remind us that we are not only not trapped in fear any longer, but we are children of the Most High God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and crow heirs of Christ. And we will be glorified with him, provided that we suffer with him. But do not let fear. Don't let fear govern you. Let the sovereign one, Jesus, reign over you and in your life. That's 2 Timothy 1.7 passage. You are not given a spirit of fear, but of power. It's interesting that he starts with power, isn't it? Many of us would probably think, well, why didn't he start with love? That's second, because you know what? Love is great, but love without power doesn't get anything done. But you have power by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. You have power. And you can exercise that power in prayer, perseverance, and loving your neighbor as yourself. He says love. You can exercise that love in the care and concern for others. 
This is a great opportunity, church. One that we may never get again before Jesus comes back. What if the church rose up and became the answer to COVID-19 and all of the panic that this panic-demic has created? What if we met sickness, death, disease, and destruction with love? And lastly, he says, a sound mind. How do you exercise a sound mind? By not losing your head. This too shall pass. And even if our society collapses, even if our economy fails, it wouldn't be the first time that a world empire crumbled. But we'll remain. And if we don't, if we are raptured out of this place or if we die in the midst of whatever horrors could be down the road, then we remember that absent from the body means present with the Lord. So if you have loved ones that aren't saved, man, what a great opportunity to talk about Jesus. Do you know who will protect you if this gets worse? Do you know where you'll go if this thing takes your life? See, that's what people with a sound mind do. We don't get frantic. We don't get frazzled. We don't get afraid. But we trust in the one who gave his life for us. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead, seated high, interceding on our behalf, and ready and waiting to one day come back and get those who belong to him to take us to be with him where he is. And if you're listening and watching this live stream right now, if you're someone that does not know where you'll go if you die, if you're someone who does not know how you'll survive this if it gets worse and persists, if you're someone who does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I want you to take a minute, find a place wherever you are, and pray after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning calling you Father, maybe even for the first time. But today, Lord, I've heard your word. I've heard your gospel that in the midst of this crazy panic, I can have hope. And so I turn from my wicked ways. I turn from my sin. I turn from my, 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 my messed up way of thinking. And I repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And I trust in you, Lord Jesus, not only for my salvation, but for my healing, for my protection, for my provision, for my hope. I invite you to come and live in my heart and be the leader of my life. Be the forgiver of my past and be the hope of my future. God, I surrender to you this morning. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'm believing that God has washed away your sins and you're born again. And you need to find a way to contact the leadership here at CWC. Find an email, find Facebook, find someone that you know that goes to church here. And say, during this crazy corona deal, I gave my life to Jesus. What's next? And they'll let you know. But if you know Jesus Christ, then I... As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, I command men everywhere to lift holy hands and begin to pray for our nation and for our leadership. God, we come before you today as representatives of your body on earth. And we ask you, Lord, to use us mightily in this time. To help us, Lord God, to be a people of power, a people of love, a people of sound mind. When it seems as if governments are powerless, when it seems as if people have let their love grow cold, when it seems as if society has lost its mind, God, let us not live in fear, but let us stand as people of power, love, and sound mind in these days. We pray for our leadership. 
We pray for those that have gotten sick with this disease. We pray for those who are working tirelessly to figure this disease out, to stop it in its tracks, oh God. We pray for those who have loved ones who are sick or have died, and we ask you, the Father of all comfort, to come and comfort their hearts right now. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would lead our minds, which so often are so prone to panic and fear. God, I thank you that you inspired the the Apostle Peter to reach back to the inspired words of the prophet Isaiah to remind us here today to not fear what other people are fearing and to not be afraid but to set you as Lord in our lives. And God, I'm thankful that you inspired those words because, Lord, it shows that we're pretty prone to fear. And it's easy to look at the things that are going on around us right now and to get shook and scared and confused, but I am reminded, Lord God, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that says, we are hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. So God, I thank you today for encouraging us from and through your word. And I pray that we would carry this encouragement with us the rest of the day for the duration of whatever this corona deal looks like. God, I pray that this encouragement would grow and abound in our lives so that we can share with our neighbors and co-workers and anyone who does not know the reason for the hope that we have. And so, God, I thank you for the Community Worship Center family for being brave enough to say, everyone stay home, but for being proactive enough to say, we're still going to get worship in the word to you through the technology that's available. And God, I pray that you would be with all of the churches across this country and around the world as we figure out ways to gather wisely. As we figure out ways to spur one another to good works and to not forsake the gathering as long as it's called today. God, I'm thankful that no matter where we are, Your presence is with us, and your presence is an open door. So come now, Lord Jesus, and heal our hearts, heal our land, heal our minds, and equip us to be the ambassadors of faith and hope and love that you have anointed and appointed each and every one of us who call upon you as Savior to be. God, I can't wait to see the testimonies that come out of this situation. Because we were not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this week. And remember to keep Jesus as Lord of your hearts. No matter how long the situation lasts, he outlasts it all. God bless you.